Oh God, what a privilege, Lord, we stand here and worship. Worship the King of all kings, the Lord of lords. We can call you our Lord and our King, not just the King, but our King, Lord. Father, this morning as we look at your word, Lord, I ask, Father, that you will just open our eyes, Father, to receive what you would like to say to us, Lord. We give this time to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, amen. Just before you sit, I want to just say something that's, that's been just burning in my heart the last two days. You know, this is one of the most profound truth you can tell anyone. But the most important thing about this profound truth is, it's true. <laughs> right? And the truth is this. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter the journey you've had, no matter the struggles you're in, God is for you. God is for you. Think about that. That God is for us. Never should we ever lose sight of that. Because that is what will keep us going. When all these things around us begin to shake and move and blow in the wind, knowing that God is for us changes everything. Amen? Turn to someone beside you and tell the person, God is for you. You know, I'm going to share this morning about the plumb line. If you're wondering what a plumb line or a plummet is, it's a weight that hangs by a cord. Gravity ensures that it's straight so that when a wall is being constructed, the wall will be straight. All right? So the plumb line ensures the construction of a vertically aligned and straight wall. So it's a very simple tool, but a tool that's used in construction. Now, scriptures, anyone in the construction industry? No one. Engineers? Civil engineers? Because it's really funny, because as I was looking at it, I realized, actually, the Bible uses many construction metaphors. It, it uses a lot of examples of construction. It, it, it talks about in Psalm 127, unless the Lord build the house, he that labors, labors in vain. And then in Ephesians 2, it talks about Jesus being the cornerstone. Now a cornerstone in construction basically is, that's the point of reference from which you get straight horizontal walls, right? So you get everything straight by putting the cornerstone. Right. And then we read also in the book of Matthew 7, 
when Jesus talked about the house that's built on the rock and the house that's built on sand. So throughout scriptures, there are a lot of examples uh, where, where the metaphor of construction is used to convey the truth of the kingdom. Right? Now, there are 11 mentions of plumb line in the Bible. Right? Uh, I, found that very, I, I found that out as I was preparing this. Because I was trying to say, Lord, what am I preparing this? This doesn't sound like a Christmas message. Yeah. But leaven in Scripture is actually closure before something starts. Right? When it says the 11th hour, what does it mean? Oh, the 12th is coming. <laughs> All right? So leaven is closure before the perfect 12 comes. So I think it's interesting because... We have fun in Christmas, we enjoy this period, but it's also a time where we begin to reflect what's gone on the whole year. And we begin to prepare for the year ahead, what's coming the year ahead. And so this message that I want to share with you is something that I want you to reflect upon as this year comes to a close and as we prepare for the year ahead. And, and my prayer is that through this Christmas period that you will keep thinking about what I want to share with you this afternoon. All right? Now, my inspiration for this message actually came from my Christmas tree. When I put my Christmas tree, then I went to Malaysia and my wife said, I can't decorate the tree because it's crooked. So I came back, I looked at it. It looked okay. And then I tried to adjust it. And the more I begin to adjust it, now I cannot get it straight anymore. No matter from which angle I see it, I find it crooked. It looks straight from one side and then it looks crooked from the other. Right, the purpose of the plumb line is to keep things straight. All right, so that's the Christ my Christmas tree inspired me. So I was preparing this message, you know, and, and, and the Lord just dropped this word, the plumb line. Talk about the plumb line. So what I want to share with you is, 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 is uh, how we can realign ourselves as we, prepare, as we get ready for the year ahead. In Amos 7, 7 to 8a, it says, He showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. God is setting a plumb line. The reason God sets a plumb line is when he wants us to realign. When he wants us to realign. The plumb line ensures through the power of gravity the truth and unchanging eternal standards of God. It's fixed. It cannot go wrong. All right? Everyone has a plumb line, a plumber. Everyone has got a, uh, you know, we may not be aware of it, but we are aligned and guided by certain value, behavior, character, and even theology. It aligns us. And we use that as our point of reference in how we navigate life. But if that plumb line is not God's standard, then you can understand 
how easy it would be for us to begin to slowly move astray. I want to deal with just one such area in which the enemy has come in and gradually moved the plumb line. Now, he does this all the time. He started in the book of Genesis right, when God made it so simple and so clear. All right? You can eat of everything that's here. You can enjoy everything that's here except this one tree. What did Satan say? Did God really say? He just moved the plumb line a bit. Did God really say? And then they begin to wonder, oh, I wonder why. The tree looks good. Why did God? Now Satan is still in that business of distortion. He still does that. And one of the biggest distortion that I see uh, traveling around, you know, uh, different countries is how, and, and I love the songs we sang this morning, it's all the Holy Spirit inspired whoever prepared those songs. This word, this phrase, and again, you know, uh, in our prayer just now, we prayed this as well, is this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. How Satan is slowly distorting this message of the gospel of the kingdom. You see, the gospel or good news is preached by every cult and every religion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The gospel by itself, every cult and religion preaches it. And if you listen and follow the good news of the founder or the teacher, then you belong to them. Then you're part with them. Okay? So good news in itself doesn't really mean anything. Okay? But this is what the enemy has done. He has slowly removed the gospel of the kingdom. Because in removing the kingdom, he undermines and removes the king. And so we just embrace this gospel without the king. Without the king. And over time, that distortion leads to two dangerous things that happen. One of it is our Christianity becomes very self-centered. We get absorbed with ourselves because it's supposed to be a good news. So we assume if it's good news, life must be good. Everything must be good. So when we believe and, and we are challenged to believe in Jesus, the question comes, what do I get by believing in Jesus? What is there for me? When someone says you need to come to church, the question becomes, what is it there for me? What do I get? If I need to pray, or if I need to give, or if I need to pledge, or if I need to do something, 
the filter through which everything goes through becomes, what do I get? Because it's just the gospel. It's the good news. So everything is supposed to be good. And you will soon find out, church, that we are entering into the last days. And if we read the scriptures carefully, we are entering into the times when there will be a great falling away. Where the book of Thessalonians says, if those days were not shortened, even the very elect will turn away. Book of Timothy talks about how in the last days people, men and women will be lovers of themselves, more than lovers of God, ungrateful. You know, we are, we are entering into those times, lovers of pleasure. Now, if we don't carefully plumb line our foundation and truth and understanding, it is not the gospel that we believe, but it's the gospel of the kingdom that we believe. And this is a very important, uh, the, the, the two is not the same. The gospel and the gospel of the kingdom is not the same. Now, if we understand the gospel of the kingdom started from the book of Genesis, I'm going to just play a very short video, you know, and, and because this is actually the theme of the Bible. Now, please don't be distracted by this one. It's actually from the Star Trek movie. Okay? I grew up with Star Trek, so I see Star Trek in everything. All right. <laughs> The message of scripture is actually the message of how the kingdom has struck back and pushed back the gates of hell. That's the message of scripture, right? From Genesis, the whole message of scripture has been that. In fact, you know, uh, Jesus uses this word or, or reference kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, guess how many times? Over 200 times. I tell you, if he mentions it once, it's important. If it mentions it twice, it's very important. But if it mentions it so many times, actually 162 times, but 200 times in the whole of New Testament. But Jesus references it 162 times. And in the book of Luke, we have those powerful words. Don't look here and there, behold here and behold there, because the kingdom of God is now in you. What is God saying? What is God saying? God is saying that I had this plan from the very beginning, from the time that Satan came and distorted and, and led people astray. Book of Genesis chapter 12, I had this plan that through the line of Abraham, will come one with, through whom the kingdom will strike back. We will strike back. The kingdom will strike back. And now God is saying, that kingdom is in you. 
that kingdom is in you. So the first thing that happens through that distortion is we, we begin to lose sight of the king and we begin to embrace just the gospel part and look for the goodies without the king. The second danger that happens, and, and I was in Malaysia two weeks ago. He we was sitting there in a the car talking to a friend. and I, We were just saying, I said, you know, it's, it's odd, but... Now, in a lot of conversations, in a lot of, uh, n- not this church, I love the worship I said just now, but even the use of the name of Jesus is reduced. Rather, just use the word Lord or God. Now, that's the second danger. The first one is we, we evolve into this, this self-centered, self-absorbed, type of faith, looking for goodies. The second is we begin to sanitize the message of the gospel of the kingdom. We sanitize it so that it doesn't offend anyone. Really? That's what happens if we lose sight of the king. That's what happens. I grew up praying for sick, praying for demon-possessed, and I tell you, I know the power of the name of Jesus. I remember sitting in one car, and this guy sitting next to the driver, I just felt very uneasy about him, and I just, just said, you know, Jesus is Lord. You need to believe in him. And he just started to manifest in the car. You know, he just to scream and manifest in the car, and you know. And, and because he knew the power of the name of Jesus. I knew a 16-year-old girl who was a very small size. When we commanded in the name of Jesus that the evil spirits leave her, it took seven grown-up men to hold her down before the Lord delivered her through the name of Jesus. We know the power of the name of Jesus when we pray for the sick. That's what Peter said, you know, silver and gold are fine, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. But this sanitized gospel is afraid to use the name of the king for fear that we might offend our friends. (laughs) So we use this safe word, God. Everyone uses God. (laughs) Or we use the safe word, Lord, I work quite a bit in Vietnam and Thailand, and, and, and when they say Lord, they don't mean Jesus. They mean Lord Buddha. <laughs> right? But this is the danger when the plumb line is just shifted a bit, and we fall into this trap, missing and distorting one of the most foundational message of Jesus which is the message of the gospel of the kingdom and just begin to take the gospel. I believe the gospel. There are many gospels around. Which one do you believe? (laughs) I believe the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is that God strike back and pushed back and restored men who were fallen in the garden 
and gave them a path back into relationship with him through the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus. So that if we repent and believe, there is redemption and there is restoration for our souls. So that that one day when the trumpet sounds, our name will be called. Because our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the message of the kingdom. This is the message of the kingdom. But how so slight, slant, just like in the garden, just a slight doubt that God really say. And today, just a slight slant, just the gospel is enough. The kingdom is too long. Just the gospel. Right, just use the gospel. But over time, when we remove the kingdom, there is a price that we pay. Self-centered faith and a sanitized faith. In a more macro sense, I see in some societies where the church is coming to a place where we hold with the highest honor, not to honor him, not to honor the king, but we put up in highest honor and the pedestal. Let's not offend anyone. <laughs> not offending anyone has become more important than whether we're honoring the king. That's how far the church has moved. It's so scary, but not really. The Bible tells us what's going to happen. <laughs> But at the same time, I, I just shiver, you know, when I, when I walk into some churches. Again, I love you guys. I love your worship. I love your prayers. Right? But I do go around quite a bit. <laughs> and I go to some churches where I don't even hear the name of the king. And we are followers of Jesus but we don't want to offend anyone might, who might be there. <laughs> really? The truth, eternal truth, the unchanging truth is through Jesus. We can't go around and maneuver our way any other way. It's only through Jesus that we find eternal only through this king. Now we know how this whole message is going to end. Right? We know how this, this message, this empire strikes back. We know how it's going to end. Star Trek, still, still don't know what's going on. All right, Darth Vader, one day good, one day bad. One day I don't know who he is. Right? But this gospel of the kingdom makes it very clear. There will be battles that we will fight and we will not overcome. But... The war is done. <laughs> the war is won. We know how the ending will be. And that's why God gave us the book of Revelation. So that we know exactly how it's going to end. Right in the book of Revelation, I'm going to just read a few verses. 
Revelation 11:15. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, the king. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in the blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nation, and he himself will rule them with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord and Lord, Lord of Lords. And Revelation twenty-two fourteen says, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life may enter through the gates into the city. Same deceiver who kept us with the partial distorted truth on the tree of knowledge still desires to keep us at the foot of the tree of knowledge. But when we embrace Christ, the promise is we now eat out of the tree of life out of the tree of life. Right. As we approach this Christmas season and holidays and prepare for the coming year, please meditate on this. Is he really king? Is it the gospel of the kingdom that we've embraced or just the gospel, a religion, tree of knowledge? If he is king, how does that change the way we live? Matthew 6, 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What are, what are these things that Matthew 6 talks about? Now, just look at the verses before that. Verse 19 and 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22 and 23. The lamb of the body is the eye. If there, is, there your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, what you feed on will determine the condition of your soul. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. No one can, God and mammon, or the love of money. Verse 25, 31, do not worry about life. I hold portion of scripture that talks about he he takes care of the birds the sparrows he takes care of the lilies he takes care of everything don't worry about life all right what you will eat and what you will drink and in that context it says seek the word zetio means search or crave 
first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. The word added really means more will be given to you. Added as in more. More than what you think you can get will be added to you if you crave the kingdom of God. Because when we crave the king, we bless the heart of the Father. We bless the heart of the Father. And the Father embraces us. And we walk into that place where we don't need to worry about all these concerns of this world. That's the kind of life God intends for us. Right? But yet, so easily, especially as we get older and older in our faith, we keep going back to the tree of knowledge. We keep being pushed back to the tree of knowledge rather than the tree of life. And that happens through slight distortions of our faith. And that distortion comes from just one, Satan himself. And I want to tell you today, Satan, he's a loser. He doesn't even own the hell that he's going to be thrown into. Why would we believe anything he says? Why? Why would we accept anything that he promises? He doesn't even own hell where he's going to be thrown. But today, let's come to the King. Let's come to the King and understand how having Jesus as our King changes the orientation of our life. And over these next few weeks, as you prepare for the coming year, this is one of the things that I'm meditating on. And I want to encourage you to meditate on. How does the kingdom of God change how we live? Would you close your eyes as we pray? Father, what a wonderful privilege, Lord, to, to be here this, this afternoon to, to worship you. And Lord, to know that, that you have us in the center of your heart and passion and love, Lord, because you love us, that you are for us, Lord. Father, help us not to fall into the distortion and lies and deception of Satan and lose out on, on truth that is unchanging and eternal knowing, Lord, that when we begin to distort this eternal truth, that has a direct implication in the theology that takes hold of our Christianity and how easily we can get swayed, Lord. So, Father, this afternoon, Lord, help us to meditate on this, Lord. What does it mean to believe in the gospel 
does it mean to be your subjects, Lord? Not just look at you as our Savior, but to live as your subjects because you are the King. How does that change the way we walk and do life? Father, I pray, Lord, that over this next few weeks, Lord, as we celebrate Christmas and in and spend time with family and loved ones and friends. Father, I pray, Lord, that some will be traveling home or traveling different places, Lord. I, I pray that you will just continue to, to speak to us and, and make us meditate on this, Lord. How does this change the way I live? How does this change the way I live? What does it mean to put the kingdom of God, to seek and, and crave for the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What does that mean, Lord? Father, I thank you, Lord. Because, Lord, your word is truth. And, Lord, where your word goes and your truth goes, Lord, you will set us free, Lord. And you will give us, Lord, that abundance that you desire for us, Father. And I pray, Lord, that we will stop eating out of the half satisfying tree of knowledge and know what it means to feed on the tree of life Lord. I just commit my brothers and sisters to you Lord I pray you will be with them Lord be with me Lord be with us Lord that as we see the days become darker and darker Lord that we will get closer and closer to your kingdom Lord so that we don't become one fall away Father so that we don't stumble so that we don't fall God help us to stay close to the King thank you Father we give you all praise and honor Lord let this few weeks of Christmas be such a wonderful time Lord that you keep reminding us that you are our King Lord and we are subjects of your kingdom Thank you, Father. We give you all praise, Lord, in Jesus.